the anxiety and mental health issues in our high school and, and youth sports is a real issue. And for me, I believe it comes from expectations because if you don't have the expectation and you're just out there to number one, play a game that you like playing, get better at it, right? Learn all the things that youth and high school sports are supposed to be about, handling adversity, being a good teammate, being a leader, being held accountable, right? Then we're all just trying to grow together. There's no stress involved there besides the normal stress of, of playing a competitive sport. Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. It's Adam Hall, here with my co-host, Walt Serrato. And today, we are excited to be joined by Steve D'Agostino, founder and owner of Dags Basketball, one of the top player development companies on the East Coast. Before we get started, we would like to give a special shout-out to Coach Bob Krasancic from Mentor and Coach Denny Schrock from Chippewa. Both reached a 700-win milestone on the opening weekend of the 2022-2023 season. Congratulations to both of you on this tremendous accomplishment and best of luck the rest of the season. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you can be notified when a new episode is dropped. And when you get a chance, please give us a rating and review to help us grow the Holding Court Podcast. Steve, thank you for joining us tonight and welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Steve, I'd like to take a few minutes for you to talk about your journey with the game of basketball. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm from upstate New York, um, the Albany area. Um, I grew up, my dad was a high school coach. My dad was actually a high school coach when he got done playing in college. So he was a coach way before my brother and I were born. Um, and then, you know, I always, I played since I was in second, third, fourth grade, all the way up. I was always the smallest guy on the court. Um, when I was in eighth grade, I kind of made a commitment to myself and said, Hey, I'm going to do something every single day. Um, to make myself the best basketball player I could be. I knew I'd have to be tough. I knew I'd have to be like smarter than most of the players I played against. Um, and so I did that, whether it was boxing, lifting, plyometrics, shooting, playing pickup, AAU, whatever it was. I literally did something basketball-wise every day from eighth grade until I stopped playing professionally when I was, you know, whatever I was, 27 years old. Maybe I missed a handful of days when I was sick or, or out of commission. Um, so I, you know, I played on a Nike AAU team, didn't get a ton of exposure out of that, uh, as I only played like 10, 12 minutes a game, ended up having a very, very good senior year, uh, at my high school. And I ended up getting, uh, two, uh, division two scholarships, one in my hometown, another one came, uh, after that, after I got the first, you know, how it goes, you get the first scholarship, another one comes. But um, I, in my recruiting process, my dad literally sent out back then it was VHS tapes. So he sent out VHS tapes and resumes to every division one, low division one school in the Northeast, but then also to every school in the Northeast 10 conference, which is a really good division two conference in the Northeast. Um, and only my hometown school, St. College of St. Rose replied. Um, I ended up going there, became a two-time All-American, became a two-time player of the year. Uh, in a league where literally nobody would respond 
to my videotape and my resume out of high school. So I always like to, to just point that out because uh, it gives some of these guys and, and girls some hope that maybe they're being under-recruited, but they, have, they still have a chance wherever they go to, to prove themselves. So I ended up being a two-time first-team All-American, played overseas for five years, Italy, Hungary, Iceland, England, and Spain. Uh, while I was over there, I started doing the, the training side, doing group workouts, team workouts. I trained my first two teams were high school state champion teams. They ended up winning high school state championships, not because of anything I did, but just um, had really good coaches and really good foundations and knew that bringing an, another voice in would help. Um, and after that, my business took off. So now we're full fledged. We do stuff all year round and, you know, in a, a bunch of different locations. So Steve, talk to us a little bit because I, I know you have your business, but then I also know that you're connected with USA Basketball. Um, so talk to us a little bit about that, your current role within that organization, and then how you feel as though being a part of USA Basketball has made you a better trainer and coach. Yeah, 100%. So with my business, Dags Basketball is basically like our local stuff. We run out of a bunch of different locations. I have trainers that work for me, but then myself, Steve D'Agostino as a skill development coach, or a, I, I don't even like, I don't like using the word trainer or skill, whatever. I'm, just, I'm, I'm a development coach, right? So I do a bunch of different things. Not only do I, as you guys know, I, I speak at coaches clinics. Um, I work with USA Basketball's junior national team, which is comprised of the top high school players in the country that meet three to four times a year. Um, and then I host camps and clinics all over the, the country. So that's kind of me myself, but I got started with USA Basketball um, I'm really big into FIBA three on three. One of the guys who is kind of in that USA basketball realm saw me, saw me teach it at a, a Nike event and told the, the head guy at the time, Samson Coyote, that um, I might be a good fit. And at the time, they didn't have any skill development or development trainers on staff. It was just high school coaches. And so he was very reluctant to add me to it because of the reputation that development coaches have with being all about themselves, looking for credit, all that stuff. So I literally told him like, listen, you can take my phone. I just want to be a part of it. I don't care. I don't need to post anything. And so he's like, why don't you come out where I'm in the under 18 trials? Uh, Bill Self is coaching it. Why don't you come out, hang around? Let's get a chance to meet each other um, and see where it goes. So I paid for my flight out. I stayed on the Olympic uh, facility campus there and we were in our first meeting and they were talking about what they wanted to do with the teams. and Bill Self, Mike Bray, Anthony Grant from Dayton, all these high-level coaches, they were talking about some of the rules in Europe. They were talking about there used to be a travel rule where if you took a step, even though it's a, not a travel here, before you dribble, it was a travel over there. And all the American teams and American players, when you'd go play over there, you'd get hit with it and uh, hit with the travel. So I kind of just raised my hand. I was like, listen, here's the, here's the rule. I showed it to him. And Bill Self's like, great. You you teach that in our, in our uh, fundamental segment today. And I'm like, all right, cool. I got it. And then so we're walking out of the meeting and Samson's like, so I guess you're running part of practice today. And uh, so I ended up doing that, doing a good job and got added to the staff. So now I think there's about like a pool of 12 to 15 high school coaches. And uh, um, right now I'm the only trainer because Phil Beckner, Dame Lillian's trainer just left because he got a job with the 76 or so right now I'm the only skill development guy. Um, and it's, it's literally the number one thing that everybody asked me. How can I become a part of USA basketball? So like for me, 
Um, it's obviously an honor anytime your country calls on you to help in any way. So I, I told him, I'll do anything you want me to do as little or small. You want me to just rebound? You want me to run stuff? Like I'm, I'm down. So in that sense, obviously it's great for business. It's great for my own personal reputation. But what I really learned being there is being around these great coaches that have humility, that are humble. Typically, right in the basketball world, you're the best player, you're the best coach. There's a lot of ego involved. And and everybody that's been a part of it that I've come across for the most part puts their ego aside. They know that when they're home, they run their own, they run their programs. But when you're at USA basketball, you're done, you're doing what's asked of you. And you're doing it for the players in that room, not for you, but for them. So that's really been the biggest thing that I've learned. And you you're working towards a shared goal that's much bigger than any of the individuals there when you see that USA across your your chest, right? Yeah, 100%. So Steve, as a player development coach, like you mentioned, what is your overall philosophy or, or maybe a goal when it relates to that player development? I guess the simple goal is just for them to be better in games, right? Like, why why are you working if it's not to be better in games? So I think that's like the simplest one. What I've really ever, all I've tried to do is assess the environment that players are in and their needs. Meaning when I was, so basically all I did when I started, like I said, I worked out every single day. We didn't have development coaches. You know, it was, you know, you'd go to the Y and play pickup. You'd have your summer league games, you'd have AAU, you'd have your high school season. Um, And then, you know, you go and you do your own workouts on your own. So I basically just took the workouts that I used to put myself through um, and then started putting other players through it. And so like when I was a player, I'd say, okay, what did I need to work on? I need to work on pick and roll. Okay. Here's what I'm going to do in that. I need to work on shooting. Here's my shooting reps. Um, and then, so that's what I did with other players. But then as I got better, it's like when I first started, there wasn't, you didn't have, you know, YouTube at your fingertips where you could, you could, uh, search, 50 crossovers or every single move. So there was value in me showing them, hey, here's five moves that worked for me, right? And I think they could help you if you took one or two. So there was value in that. But then it shifted and you literally had that all at your fingertips. So I shifted and I said, okay, I'm coming back from Europe. They do a ton of three on three. That's how we practiced the game when I was over there and in college. That's how you got better. So we started to implement a ton of three on three. So when the environment shifted to like players can find any move they want on Instagram, on YouTube, on their own, okay, what value can I provide? Now I can coach you in three on three. I can coach you in game situations. So all I've ever done is try to assess uh, the, the environment as a whole that players in today's generation are in. And then what do they need to get better at in order to succeed? And how can I provide value? And so that's really, that's really what we do now. So Steve, as a follow-up to that, you know, I can, I can imagine it can be difficult to handle different types of players, uh, ability levels within the workouts that you do, especially your group workouts. So how do you plan and prepare for that and then manage it within the workout itself? And what advice would you give to coaches who may currently be experiencing the same type of situation where they're trying to build a player's skill set, um, player skill sets, but are struggling to figure out how to go about doing that when there might be 20 players in a gym with only two coaches and all that different skill levels. 
Yeah, I think you got to meet in the middle somewhere, probably on the on the higher side of like the better players. So you can't really, you know, the less skilled players have to ramp it up. And hopefully it's a, you know, it's like a sign to them that, hey, they got to get in the gym on their own, you know? So, so as far as like managing the skill level, I feel like I'm lucky that, you know, I'll run a second and third grade program on Sunday and then I'll be working our NBA guys out on Monday that, you know, I get a chance to see all different players, boys, girls, men, women, old, young, all different skill levels. So it gives me a chance to learn, but the game is the game, right? And so like the game is simple, you know, like for example, I see all these NBA guys post their clips from the summer and everything they do. And I'm good with, I don't, I'm good with whatever players think get them better. They want to dribble the ball a million times. Go ahead. If that's, what's going to give you confidence, I'm good with it. Cause all I care about is production and games. Right. And so, uh, you know, I see it and then I'm watching the Kings play who our guy herders on the Kings and second game of the year, they start off on four. They lose the game against the warriors the first time because they don't grab an off. They don't grab a defensive rebound. They give up an offensive rebound with 10 seconds left. Warriors get the ball. They lose. So like, What's going to win or lose you games? It's not 20 dribble moves. It's not. So like, you know, we had a session tonight with six and some really good sixth graders. And, you know, what we work on? We worked on driving to the basket with contact. We worked on footwork when you catch the basketball. We worked on you get two feet in the paint. We worked on you get two feet in the paint and the help comes, you kick it. Right. And so like just these simple concepts that if they don't know, like, how to play the game. I don't know that they're going to have sustained, sustained success. Eventually that catches up. And when we're talking about mostly the players that come to us are players that are looking to hopefully eventually make their high school team, their varsity team and be a really good high school player. They got to do the little things. They got to understand how to play. Yes. They have to be skilled and you have to give them that skill set, but they can't be running around with no idea what's going on. So there's a mix there of, you know, everybody is so concerned with skill development. Go watch a game. I mean, yeah, they're skilled. They can dribble. Like how many guys drive into the basket and help comes and they they run over the, the help defender or they throw. So, so and sorry, I go, I, I could go on all day about this, but when I was at USA Basketball, I, I ran for the six practices, I ran 30 minutes of, of skill, right? In quotation, development. All we did was two on two and three on three. That's all we did situations, drive, help, where's the pass, right? Uh, how do you get your guy on the hip? What's the driving angle? And by far, the worst skill that the players had was passing the ball. They could recognize where, where the pass would be. They could not hit the guy on time on target, which killed the advantage, which kills your, sco which kills your scoring opportunities. So, and, and so like when we talk about that, like, you know, all those guys can handle the crap out of it, literally handle the crap out of it. But we're talking about making a simple pass. Like, what do they need to what You watch college games, you know? How many times does a guy over dribble and, and Bob Huggins wants to kill him, you know? Um, so I, I guess, and, and that's a long-winded answer, but I guess for me, it's as simple as watching games, you know? Like the most successful players on the court, what do they do? You know, the most successful role players, what are they doing? They're controlled. They make the right pass. They understand how to read the defense. And yeah, you got to be skilled enough. You know, you got to be skilled enough to create separation, to get to the basket, to make open shots. But the complex stuff, you know, there's only so much that you need.
Yeah, I, I know that's something that we as coaches, Adam and I have talked about. We're always asking our players, hey, did you watch this college game last night? Hey, did you catch this NBA game? Obviously, you know, the NBA is such a high level athlete, but it is kind of alarming to me how, how few kids these days kind of watch the game or, hey, did you go, do you want to come scout a game with us? We're always asking our kids, see it through our eyes. You know, and I think that's a big part of the learning experience and going right off that today's athlete, right? So, so today's basketball player, let, let's first talk about the mental side of the game, because I know that's an area that's important to you that you focus yeah. on a lot with the players you work with. What struggles are you noticing with players or relates to the mental side of the game and how are you helping them overcome those obstacles? So that's a great question. So our base for development, if you, and I should have actually said this probably before, but our base before you get into any skill work, basketball thing is competing and resiliency. And I think those are two of the hardest things um, that this generation of player deals with. The number one thing that I say to players in our session, especially high school players, is keep playing. One thing goes wrong. They get scored on. They miss a shot. They stop. And to me, that's competing. No matter what happens, you continue to play. So, so I, And so we've changed all of our drills. You will rarely see me do a drill where it's one shot. Um, it's always going to be offensive rebound. So you have to box out and finish the possession. Sometimes I even started doing it where any rebound is live for the offense and defense. So if we're doing a one-on-one -on -one drill and I'm guarding you and you shoot it, I can get it and I can score it. Just to emphasize, yo, we don't stop playing until the possession is over. Um, and so that's number one. If you, like, I, I have a buddy who coaches a mid-major, he's an assistant at a mid-major. And so I asked him, I said, how many guys that are in your rotation don't compete or struggle competing? He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, all of them compete. Because if they didn't compete, they wouldn't play. I said, all right. How many, of the, how many of the guys in your rotation can, can really shoot the basketball? You trust them like really shooting. He's like, ah, I don't like five out of eight. So I understand shooting is important, right? Got to be able to make shots. But if you're telling me five out of eight can shoot and they play, but if you don't compete, you have a 0% chance of playing, what, are, what should we be working on every day as development coaches? Competing. You literally have a 0% chance of playing in college if you don't compete. Maybe 1%, 1% if you're Kevin Durant, right? And you can take plays off. So for us, it starts with competing. If you don't do that, that's what we're harping on continuously. And then just being able to fight through adversity. You know, I, I don't think that, right, there's not those random pickup games anymore. Everything's organized. Everything is, hey, we know we're going to have four games this weekend and all that. So. They don't go through that uh, typical adversity of like, hey, you lose, you sit for, for, for three games. Hey, you lose, um, my teammate is ready to, to bark at me crazy, telling me to sit in the stance and guard because no one cares. You play another game in, in an hour or two hours. So again, me just adapting to the environment, I'm not saying it's bad or worse. It just is what it is. This is the environment that they're growing up in. And part of it has to do with us as adults. That's the system that we've created, right? So I just, you know, I just react to that. So they need more adversity. We'll give them more adversity. They need to be uh, competitive. 
okay, we're going to put them in all competitive situations. Then we'll, then we'll, we'll have all the skill stuff after that. So Steve, same type of question, but let's focus on the, on the skill side now. Um, yeah. you know, you mentioned passing, but over the past couple of years, what have you noticed as maybe general skill deficits that maybe you're seeing in today's player? Um, and, and what are you doing or what recommendations do you have to improve those skills? Yeah, I think, um, I think the better understanding you can give players of like a, on a macro scale of the game of basketball, it helps their skill development. Meaning like, you know, European players, everybody loves like European development and all that stuff. And yeah, it's good. Okay. I get it. But like they're in a system from when they're what, seven years old. So they have a clear understanding of offense, defense, uh, transition to secondary break to half court sets to time score situation, they have a clear understanding of that. So, so I think that helps them as they get older and get more skilled. They're just implementing their skills in that. Ours is kind of like reverse. Ours is all skill uh, from when they're younger, dribble, pass, shoot, like all that stuff. And then, you know, hopefully we'll get that understanding. I mean, how many guys do you have that are in your gym every day that really don't have any idea what's going on? Like if you ask them to go, give me the flow of offense from when we re- when we get the basketball to the end of a possession, like what half the guys could probably go through that flow, you know? So, so I think number one within the skill, yes, we ha- they have to have a better understanding. Um, one of the things that I've been, I was always a one foot finisher. Um, I was just really small. I couldn't really go off two feet. Um, but I noticed that all players, regardless of size, like if you ask them, Hey, rip through, rip through, finish. They all default to one foot, one hand finishes. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, I love it. Like you need that, but that's getting punched. That's 70% of the time that's getting punched. Like you're not finishing that. So we've been really going like, what's our defaults? Like our default is two foot finishing, right? And then from there, when you need to, and when, you know, time score situation allows, you have to be able to go off one foot and probably off one hand and maybe the opposite leg. But our focus is defaulting to what's strong, like strong is two feet in the paint. So we've been trying to get our players to do more of that. The other thing that I like talking to with college or talking about with college coaches um, and even high school coaches, because, right, I see it on Twitter all the time is someone will see a drill and it's a kid handling the ball 30 times. You're like, oh, my God, that's so dumb. Like, yeah, like I'm not a huge fan, right? But let's be real. Coaches want the player that can handle the basketball 30 dribbles in a possession. They just want them to understand, dude, you only need three, four, or five. You you need to use the dribble to create a better angle or get in the paint, right? Like, you know, it's it's like the best actor in the world can play 30 different roles. You don't want the one actor that can only play one role. You want the one that can have 30 but can hone in on the one role you need him to do, right? So so that's – I think there's a lot of misconception there, and it's like you have a lot of guys that think they can really handle the ball, but ball handling is bringing up the court uh, using the least amount of energy. Ball handling is getting two feet in the paint and creating for somebody else anytime you need it, right? It's not being able to have 40 drip, uh, different dribble moves and break somebody's ankle once and turn it over five other times, right? So it's really the the concept behind, right, that skill of ball handling. 
That's a great answer. And I, I think, you know, we see it with, with our younger players today. I, I think, uh, you know, a fancy dribble move kind of gets overhyped, you know, you see mm-hmm. the crowd goes nuts and it really didn't do anything. It's kind of yeah. like blocking a shot out of bounds. It's like, well, that's a great play. They get the ball back. You didn't keep the ball in bounds. So I, I definitely follow what you're saying there. So one of the phrases that we use a lot when we evaluate players is basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. In your opinion, what's the breakdown on how much we as coaches, player development, how, how much we can develop basketball IQ versus how much players just inherently have it? Yeah, that's a good question. Man, it's probably like player by player. I think, you know, a lot, of, I mean, there's a reason why coaches' sons or daughters tend to have good basketball IQ. Um, I think they're educated on the game from a coach's point of view at a young age. So I would say inherently, probably some of that is like, hey, you're born with it or you develop it, develop it from playing other sports and you understand spacing and time and scoring all that stuff. But I, I really believe you would see a better IQ in players in our country if they were educated on the game from a coach's standpoint from when they were really young, you know, and, and that's with, like we just talked about with ball handling, like how many, think about it, how many players really believe that if they can just handle the ball 30 times, that makes them a good ball handler, but like, don't understand that, you know, great ball handlers don't have to dribble the ball a million times. They can get to the paint anytime they want. They're efficient with their dribble. That's like, what needs to be taught. And that's where you start seeing like, oh, he's got a good, he's got a good IQ. Yeah, because he understands that. The other thing I've always said is, I don't know if you could find, excuse me, I don't know if you could find a good passer with a low IQ. Typically, when you see a good passer, they have a high IQ for basketball. And so I tend to relate that a little bit like, oh man, that guy can pass. He sees the game. He sees the game a step ahead or she sees the game a step ahead. You know, um, so I, I, I feel like there's something there, right? There's something there with passing, seeing the game vision. I also think there's something there with, I think we can educate the players better. You know, if they really, really, truly understand the game. So Steve, you recently had a thread on Twitter uh, where you discussed the three things that you believe are hurting high school and youth basketball in the United States today. And those were expectations, reclassification, and something that you called the skill revolution. Could you discuss this with our listeners and share some possible solutions to the problems that you see facing our game today? Yeah, absolutely. So that, you know, that I, sometimes I just see things, you know, I'm scrolling on Instagram and Twitter and just watching games and it just pops in my head. I'm like, man, these things are really not great, but they're all in mind. Like I said, all my job is to react to the environment, right? So like, it's me trying to find, okay, if this is the environment and this is what I believe hinders uh, players from being good or hinders our game, what's the solution? So it's always in mind not to just, cause I can't stand like, Oh, here's the problem. Okay. What's the solution? Come on, let's go. Right. So that's where that all comes from. Um, I think number one, huge problem in our game, youth players, youth and high school players being stressed out, playing the game, anxiety, playing a game that they're supposed to enjoy playing. Right. And so to me, where does that come from? I believe it comes from expectations. It comes from the expectation of every kid that's in middle school want 
has to want to play college basketball and has to want to get a scholarship and has to want to work at it every single day. It's not the case. Like if you broke down every team, I don't know, maybe you have, you know, four gym rats and then you have four guys that are in and out of the gym. And then you got another four that, you know, they play when they're supposed to play, you know, like, so what are we talking about? A third of the people that really, really like want to get after it. Um, so I, I think whether people want to admit it or not, the anxiety and mental health issues in our high school and, and youth sports is a real issue. And for me, I believe it comes from expectations because if you don't have the expectation and you're just out there to number one, play a game that you like playing, get better at it, right? Learn all the things that youth and high school sports are supposed to be about handling adversity, being a good teammate, being a leader, being held accountable, right? Then we're all just trying to grow together. There's no stress involved there besides the normal stress of, of playing a competitive sport. So to me, the expectations um, are number one. Number two, the reclassification. I actually reclassified. So I started school. Um, I started kindergarten when I was four. Um, and my mom said, I, I like my brother went to school and I like had to go. So she's like, all right, whatever, go. But by the time I was in eighth grade, I was literally like four foot nine. Um, and so I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, listen, you're young. You have two options. You can, we can give you the hormone shots. And if you're supposed to be six foot, you may only end up being five, nine, but you'll grow and you'll grow sooner rather than later. Or you started school basically a year early. You could reclassify to eighth grade again and give your body naturally another year to grow. And so that's what I did. I went to a private school for a year and then came back to my public school. And it was like a, it was like a thing right back then. Not, I don't, I didn't know anybody else who was, who was doing it, but it was a thing, like a weird thing for somebody to do. Um, and it's weird now when I see six foot 10 guys reclassifying that are already a year older, that's weird. But the bigger thing, the bigger picture is the players outside of the U S when they're 14 or 15, the best players are playing for their club's senior team. And they're playing with 25 to 30 year olds and against 25 to 30 year olds that are busting them every single day. So they go through a three, four, five year period of straight adversity. Like if you're not with it, you're going to be out of here. Like you'll never reach your potential, but if you can get through it, you're going to be a beast. Right. And so where everybody else in the world is going through all this adversity for 14 and 15 uh, and up, our 14 and 15 year olds and up are a lot of them are reclassifying, playing against younger players, being coddled, going from team to team. Like, like we thought, hey, we thought that the rest of the world caught up to us in the last 20 years. Just wait for the next 20 years if we keep doing the same things that we're doing. You know? So, so that's where that comes from. And then the last part is just I see it every day. I can't tell you, like, I have some really good trainers that help me out. Um, and I told the one the other day, like, it's hard for me to, to go on Instagram um, because I, I, I know a lot of the trainers. There's a lot of them that I don't know that their stuff pops up on my feed. And I think I'm going to need therapy, man. I, I told them, I'm like, I don't know why I can't handle it. It's like they're doing all these things for them. You're not helping the player. I, and some of them, they don't know they're not helping. 
they're just doing what they think, right? Like I saw a guy who works with NBA players and works with kids, okay? He literally said, he's got like 13-year-olds in the gym. And he's like, if I told you that tomorrow or yesterday you did you did a team workout in the morning, you did a lift with your team, and then you had your team practice at night, how many times did you work out? And the kids are like, three. And he's like, and he's like swearing. He's like, no, you didn't work out. You did, you did what everybody else did. You, if you don't go back and do another workout, how are you going to separate yourself? And I'm sitting there and I'm like, whoa, what? And then I look at the comments and there's legit NBA guys and all these other guys like, yeah, like tell them. Yeah, yeah. Like all these guys with credibility. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, more is not the answer. If you can't separate yourself in three team activities, what do you mean? You got to go back in the gym again? You know, like things like that. Things like, you know, just if I got to see another inverted drag, like I literally told the kid, uh, we do our, we do our three on three. And part of my thing for our ball handlers is, right, our goal, simplify the game, get two feet in the paint. You get two feet in the paint, you're good. I don't care what move you use, right? Like, like you guys are coaches. If a kid wants to do a anchored through the legs or a slide out crossover, do you care what move they use as long as they get inside the defense and two feet in the paint? Dude, nobody cares. (laughs) And so we had a kid, a freshman who's going to play on varsity. He's a good little player. He loved ripping, getting the defender on on his hip, and then instead of just going to the paint, he dragged the ball back and then square up the defender again, and now he's got to create the advantage again. And I told him, I said, I stopped the three-on-three the one time. I'm like, Thomas, dude, I love you, but if you drag again, dude, I'm, I'm kicking you out of the gym. I'm literally kicking you out. I can't see it anymore. You already, you already did the job. Just, just finish it and get two feet in the paint. So like this skill revolution of like everything skill, like, yo, watch a game. Here's a, here's a good one. Uh, there's another trainer who does all skill stuff. Like that's his thing, skill. It's not game situations, which there's, and meanwhile, when I say this, like players need a, a, a inverted drag and a drag and all these different, they need moves, of course, right? But they need to know when to use it. So there's a guy who does all skill stuff and he works with NBA guys. And so the Kings were playing this guy's, one of his players' teams. And so I'm watching playing. The guy's a good player. He's a good shooter. All, but all I see him ever do is ball handling and skill stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I'm like a jerk. I got to see how many dribbles this guy takes in a game. He plays like 20 minutes a game, literally takes 18 dribbles a game. So meaning, and it's like less, it was like 0.8 dribbles per touch. So someone's got to really explain to me if you're dribbling less than one time every time you touch the ball in your games and all you're doing is all this skill, footwork, crazy stuff. I don't know, man. I I don't know where that makes sense. And that's where I need to be able to, when I go like this, to just call up my therapist and be like, hey, you got to help me out. (laughs) So that's what I mean by skill revolution. You're seeing it. I mean, watch college basketball. Some college basketball games are unwatchable, you know, like just guys going one-on-one, uh, not making right reads, not understanding how to use ball screen. Um, it's very individualistic because again, the environment, that's how they train. That's where they spend their time. They're spending their time doing individual workouts.
So Steve, let me ask you this, um, n- not to get off yeah. topic here, but you are in the skill development business. Um, I, I consider you a, a, a coach more than I do a trainer because you're, you're teaching the game. Mm-hmm. What is the balance with the clients you have? Because you've talked about kids don't play much anymore. They're not going to the playground. They're not learning to be competitive and win and then realize if I don't win, I might not get back on the court. What is the yeah. balance with the clients that you have when it comes to training versus open play versus play that is, I don't know, in high school, you would say supervised by a coach. What's the balance yeah. that you see? Yeah, it's, it's, um, that's like the hardest part. I think it's, it's individual. Like we have guys that need to play more and start understanding like reads and, and, and all that stuff that three on three and, advantage three on three and FIBA three on three provides. But then we do have players that like, you know, they need to learn how to create separation with the dribble. So like, you know, my biggest thing is, I guess has always been like people that go all in on one thing um, because there's so many players that need a million different things. And so our base, we're gonna, we're very rarely going to do one on zero reps, except uh, for warmups. I think they're good. I think it's really good for players, number one, with shooting to see the ball go in as much as possible, especially on light days or in warmups, um, but also to get footwork in group settings. Here's our one-on-zero reps. I think it's just comfortability, right? And and then getting rhythm and seeing that they can do something. And then we'll, we'll do it as well, too. Like, when you're looking at a player, you know, it's easy. It's funny. It's like, you can go watch a game and you can just pick a player. And you're like, yo, if that player could do X, Y, and Z, Oh my God, he'd be an NBA player. He would be a college player. But you know how you know how hard it is to get really good at three things? You know, so it's like, how do you prioritize for each player? Okay, here's who they are right now. Here's the one or two things that's going to help them become the best player that they can be. Um, and so whether that's on-air reps, whether that's individuals, whether that's playing three-on-three, guys know when they come in our gym, we're going to shoot, we're going to play live. So one-on-one, finishing, three-on-three, you know, I'm a big, like, like our best ball handling drill is literally full court one-on-one and the offense has to get two stops in to make sure they're under control. So drive it, drive it, drive it, stop, relax, drive it, drive it, drive it, stop, relax. And then they're playing and trying to score it, you know? So, I mean, that's, to me, that's the same thing as doing ball handling drills. It's just better for me because we got defense. So, so I think it's per player, right? And so like, if I'm a high school coach, I'm looking at my team as a whole and I'm saying like, man, we're not really skilled. Or we can't shoot the ball. My dad's a high school coach out here. Teams can never shoot the basketball. Guys just outside of their work, just they, they just play on their AAU teams. They refuse to get in the gym and shoot 200, 300, 400 shots a day. So that's fine, you know, so you got to work around it. But, you know, you see some of the things that like, okay, if we can get these guys to shoot a little better, they're going to go from here to there. Or, you know, if we spend the summer doing three-on-three reads out of ball screen because we know our offense can be ball screen, that's what we're going to do. Um, so I think I think that's the benefit of not being all in on one thing. Um, it's, it's understanding a little bit of all the different development philosophies and then saying like, okay, for this individual, here's what's work. Here's what works. For this team, here's what works. Um, and so I'm, I'm very into... Um, being able to take from a lot of different people that have different philosophies. So Steve, for, for us here in Ohio, preseason's over, we're off and running games are underway. You know, for us as coaches is 
as we sit down every night to, to put together those practice plans, you know, preparing for the next opponent, it's a lot of times that skill development piece that might get left behind because, oh man, the next opponent's got a lagging fast guard. How are we going to contain them? Or yeah. what are we going to do on this high ball screen? How are we going to defend this? So that skill development piece gets left behind a lot, right? So what suggestions or advice would you have for coaches as it relates to purposeful skill development throughout the season? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's always right. That's always the balance. How do you fit in your, your skill development, especially with, um, especially with the limited amount of time that you have? Uh, I always think that I, from the coaches that I've been around that do a really, really good job of it, it's ingrained in their program. So it's not something we do sometimes. It's we do it every day. And so no matter what the day is, we're going to do it. And we're going to get our 20 minutes, you know, before practice or in that first 20 minutes of practice, we're going to do our whatever you want to call them, daily vitamins. We're going to do our shooting. We're going to do our finishing. We're going to do our ball handling. Um, It's like anything else in life, right? I don't commit to it and I don't put it on my calendar. Who knows if I'll do it, you know? So I think more so than what drills you're doing or exactly what you're doing is just ingraining it in your program, you know, and then, um, Letting it be player led sometimes, I think is really, really good as well too. Um, talking to the players like, hey, we got our 20 minute development. What do you feel like we need to get better at today? And they'll tell you like, we need to shoot the basketball, you know? So it, it involves them in their own development during the season where some of these guys maybe aren't playing as much as they want to. Uh, and they feel like they're part of it and they're getting better. So I think the biggest thing more so than what you're doing is just making sure it's, it's ingrained in what you do. So you spoke about it at the front, talking about your playing days. You know, I went back and I was reading up about your your basketball life, if you will, and, and you were the classic underdog. You were undersized, under-recruited, coming out of high school, like you mentioned. But what impressed me was how you figured out how to adapt your game and your training, like you mentioned, every day to close that gap on your competition. Mm-hmm. So with that being said, how do you get the players you work with to understand the difference between talent versus skill when trying to reach their potential? Yeah, that's another, that's another really, really good question. Um, I feel like, uh, like a lot of these questions, um, you know, there, I've heard a lot of good answers to a lot of them, but like executing it with different personalities and relationships is really, really hard. Um, I think first and foremost, um, having a relationship and and like players know that number one, it's not about me. It's about them. Um, so, so that's number one. Number two is I'm always going to be honest with them. You know, like, um, my, my one trainer, who's a high school coach up here, we were talking about one of our NBA guys and he was like, Oh, you know, he got back on track last night. I'm like, dude, he airballed two shots last night. Like, let's be real. And he's like, yo, that's what I love about you. You're like, never satisfied. And I'm like, I'm not, I'm just going to be honest, right? Because I want, you know, I don't want anybody to, uh, I want them, I know how hard it is for, for players to have success and reach their potential. And listen, every game, you're going to have stuff that you can work on. So um, I think it's, it's, it's part of our whole thing, right? Relationship, honesty, uh, understanding that uh, the vision that we have for the player, we create it together. It's not just me telling them what to do. It's them being involved in it. And hey, what do you think? 
what type of player do you think you want to be? What type of player do you think you are? Because a lot of time there's like a disconnect with who they think they are. Like, hey, you think you're a leader, but you're just yelling at your teammates. No one's no one's following you. Um, so so I that's the biggest thing is is uh you know is having the relationship is being honest. Uh, but from talent and skill wise, a lot of the live stuff we do takes care of that. So here's a good example. We'll invite, we have like a high school invite group and forever. It's always been like, you know, new guys to varsity. So like some really good ninth and 10th graders, but then some vets, like guys that are going to go play in college. I think they, they should be scholarship guys. And one of the first things we always do in like the second session is we'll go FIBA three on three. Let's just say there's nine guys. We'll split them up into three teams and we'll keep individual wins and losses. And I'll tell them like, hey, we're just going to keep mixing up the teams after every like couple games. And let's see, because typically what will happen is two things will happen. One, the best player should be able to raise the level of all his teammates and be able to have the most wins. So if you think you're the best player, you should have the most wins. But a lot of times it's like the weakest player screws the rest of of the players and and they just have like no wins. But what will happen is these guys that think that they're the best player in the gym they end up with four wins and the leader's got nine. And that leader is the one that plays the hardest and can get his teammates to raise their level. And so I don't even address it individually. I address it the whole, like, hey, leaderboard's over there. I know some of you guys might think you're the best player in here. You know, these are the guys who are the best player today. I mean, how are you going to argue with that? You know? Um, and so, uh, so again, right, like these kids, especially if you're one of the better ones, you go to a showcase, you go to a tournament, who gets the write-up? The player that everybody knew about before. Uh, you know, it's not, it's it's one of those things where these guys who, when they're tagged as being really good from when they're younger, do they really have to go out and like really, really, really prove themselves? Sometimes, you know, but a lot of times, you know, especially when you're basing it on potential, you know, a lot of times they don't. So what we just try to do is bring reality instead of perception into the gym. Here's the reality. Your team won two games today. And you think you're the best player in the gym. So, Steve, from your player development experience, which type of player is more challenging? The underskilled and or undersized player with a lot of heart or the naturally gifted player that doesn't push themselves? Um, whoo, so good question. You guys are like pros over here. Um, so, again, I think it depends on the coach, meaning – there, I don't deal well with players that, um, that like don't have great attitudes and they don't necessarily want to like, like work, but I know some people do. And so like my dad had a player a handful of years ago who was stud six, five jacked, like a, like a power five body and was getting low, low major division one offers because he wasn't a great teammate. Um, he couldn't handle adversity. And I told him, uh, I told him that a bunch of people told him that. And, you know, we butted heads pretty as uh, to the point of like only person I've ever had to walk out of multiple workouts, like just couldn't handle it. Right. And since credit to him, he actually plays overseas now apologized. I was like, really, really matures. Like, Hey, I, you know, when I was in high school, whatever, but, um, college coach called me about him and I said, listen, he's really good. And if you feel like you and your staff are good at handling guys that that need to be better teammates and need to play harder, um, 
then this is a good fit for you because you'll be able to get him to where he needs to be. If I was the coach, I couldn't do it because I don't work well with that type of player. You know, um, for me, I, I don't coach a team. I want, I want guys that are going to play hard, you know, there, and there is a balance of like, okay, you're 5'10 and, and you're not very good, but you play hard. Like, I mean, I don't know what I can do with that. You still got to have some skill. You know what I mean? Um, I think it would be probably easier to get the guy who doesn't play hard to try and play hard. You know, um, that's where, and that's where too, uh, I laugh, man. I laugh at Twitter's a funny place. I, uh, years ago, probably five years ago, I saw a tweet that was like, you want college coaches to notice you pick your water bottle up after the game. And I was like, listen, with all due respect, you should pick up the water bottle because you want to be a good person. No coach is going to see a player pick the water bottle up and be like, Oh, that's what I'm going to give that guy a scholarship. Not unless he's already good enough to play at your level, you know? So, you know, those are the things that like, Listen, you got to be able to play. It's a bonus if you play hard. If I'm a coach that can get guys to play hard, then I'm good. I'll take a chance on that. If I'm a coach that's really good at developing skill sets, right? I can take a guy who's underskilled, right? And I can I can get him to where he needs to be. It all depends on like the type of um the type of of coach you have. For me as a, a development guy, if you don't if you're not really willing to work and and have some perspective, it's, it's hard for me to get behind you. All right, Steve, now we'd like to transition to a segment that we call Triple Threat. We're going to give you three topics and let you share thoughts, ideas, experiences, and or suggestions with our listeners. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. So, Steve, number one, favorite player to study and why? I mean, for me personally, Steve Nash was the best. I mean, wizard and ball screen, uh, could shoot it, could pass it, great teammate. You know, led the league in high fives. I'm sure you've seen that statistic. In today's game, I'd have to think. I really like, and again, it's like give and take just because I'm not with this generation. But like John Morant, to me, is a guy who like makes his teammates better, who plays hard every night, who wins. I think he's a little loose. I think he's like a goofball sometimes. Um, but basketball-wise, he's unbelievable. And, and just the way that he allows his other teammates to shine as well, too. I think he would be a good one uh, to study. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. Big men, you know, you got a ton to choose from. Jokic, Sabonis, like these guys that can pass. Uh, Embiid is like just unbelievable. Um, Jason Tatum, like, so here's my thing with like NBA guys. Tatum's unbelievable, unbelievable. But like for you guys as high school coaches, you want you want your guys taking sidestep threes, like six of them a game? Probably not, but... You can utilize him and say, listen, when he came into the league, he was here. He's worked on his game every summer and gotten to here. You may have to work on different things because you're a high schooler, but look at this guy's growth. That's impressive. Um, so I would say those guys are the first ones that come off the top of my head. Okay, what is the biggest myth when it comes to shooting a basketball? I think um, like getting your shot off. I think uh, everybody always says that. Um, oh, they're not going to be able to get their shot off. They're not going to be able to get their shot off. Like how many guys do you want like sprinting off screens that have to like quickly get their shot off? Like one or two on a team. Most players have time to shoot. So like, yeah, you can't dip it crazy slow and then bring it up crazy slow. You know, when I was growing up, it was always everybody tried to get me to change my form to get my, 
you know, my push point or my set point above my forehead. And I'm like, dude, like I shoot it from right here, you know, and, and I, I don't have a problem getting my shot off and I make three, so I'm not going to change it, you know? So I would probably say like the, the quickness of getting your shot off, um, is something that's like overstated, you know, it's, it's not even that. And, and for players that do like, so there was a guy in Spain when I was playing in Spain, he had the craziest long lift like started it at his opposite hip, lifted it up over his forehead and shot it super slow. He, he shot 50% from three in, uh, in Lebgold, Spain, and had one of the best shot fakes because it was so slow. Everybody thought they were going to block it. And as, he, as he'd go up slow, they'd go up to block, and then he'd rip through mad fast and go by. And so like, is it really a bad thing? He got, he shot 50% from three with a long, right? Like release. And he had a great shot fake built in. So I would say those two things. So Steve, the state of Ohio, um, we're a shoot away state. Um, mo- many yeah. schools utilize the gun. Uh, obviously it, it's made a lot of players better over the years. It's made a lot of teams better. Uh, we have two at the school that we coach at, um, use them daily. My, my question yeah. for you is I, I follow you obviously on social media. You do a lot of live one-on-one shooting um, and you teach that way. Talk about shooting on the gun versus those live one-on-one reps. What's the balance and what's your preference? Yeah. I mean, nothing beats right reps, especially for shooters and seeing the ball go in the hoop. I mean, the gun uh, is awesome for, you don't have a rebounder or there's, you know, maybe two of you guys in the gym and you just want to just, just shoot. You just want to shoot and see the ball go in and compete a little bit, you know, maybe in some, some different shooting drills. It's great for me as a development guy, anything beyond that, uh, I feel like it becomes a little bit of a hindrance. Um, uh, for example, we talked about passing. Like I like our guys being under the basket, rebounding and passing left hand, right hand bounce pass over the head. Um, I like that, especially if the the shooter's moving when you're hitting a target on the move. Um, if you have multiple guys, four, five, six players, it's easier just to rebound. Um, balls aren't flying all over the place. But for the individual, unbelievable. Best invention ever for basketball, for the individual. Especially in today's game where you can be a spot shooter and be effective. Well, Coach – we have one more question for you. Uh, before we get to that, yeah. though, we want to thank you for coming on the show tonight, spending some time with us on the Holding Court Podcast. Before we get to this last question, though, I, I just want to give you an opportunity. Um, I, I know this past offseason, you were able to find your way back to Ohio, not only um, being of service to all of our coaches at our state clinic, but I also know you did some clinics um for some local high schools in the state of Ohio. If anybody's interested in getting connected with you, maybe bringing you to their school, how can they go about getting a hold of you? Yeah, so um, they can just go to the website, dagsbasketball.com, D-A-G-S basketball.com, and shoot us an email. Um, my wife handles all of our uh, all of our admin stuff. So we have, um, when we were able to go to Willard, with the boys and the girls side last year, which was awesome. Um, and then we went to Botkins, um, with coach gross, who's now at a new school who I'm hoping to go back out to a new school this year. Um, and so I'm hoping to 
to come back out to Ohio again. Obviously, I love doing the coaches clinic. That's always unbelievable what you guys are able to do there. Uh, we're trying to book up a little bit. I have a couple other ones in the works too. So they can just contact me and, and I can get them all the information. And, you know, it's really cool. Like I said, like my dad's a high school coach out here. So I understand how challenging it is to be a high school coach um, for your players to hear the same voice all year round. Um, and so, I mean, obviously, hopefully you heard on this podcast, I'm saying the same thing that probably most of the high school coaches are saying. So it's just them hearing it from a different voice. So uh, and we're able to give them, and I think it helps too. We, we train so many college players and, and NBA guys that, you know, to have somebody come in with that experience, it kind of gives the kids a little bit of a boost as well too. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. So last question here, and you kind of yeah. hit on a little bit earlier, but maybe you can expand a little bit. Talk about the importance of relationships as it relates to your job as a skills trainer and coach. And what do you do to build those relationships to get the most out of the players that you're serving? Yeah, I think there's no substitute for time, right? You got to spend time with the players. Um, you got to be available to them and you have to show them again, it's not about you. It's, it's about them. And listen, you could have the best relationship in the world with somebody, but if they don't think that you're providing them value, eventually they're going to figure it out and they're going to go, go somewhere else, you know? So got to be able to build that relationship. That's number one. Um, because if you're going to be honest, especially, you know, this sports is tough and you have a lot of highs and a lot of lows. And if you don't have the relationship with somebody and you're trying to be honest with them at a point where they're either at their low or at their high, that conversation is not going to go well. So you got to build the relationship first. You have to be able to be honest with them. And then, um, you know, from, from there, it's just, it's just time and, and providing value. Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at OhioBKCoaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.